Lesson number 45 will begin from ayah number 69. وَدَّ الطَّائِفَةٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَوْ يُضِلُّونَكُمْ A group of the people of the scripture wish that they could mislead you, that they could send you astray. وَدَّتْ is from wood. And what does wood mean? Love. But what kind of mahabba is it? What kind of love is it? From the depths of your heart. Meaning, when you strongly, intensely desire and yearn for something. بِكُلِّ qalb With all your heart. So, وَدَّ طَائِفَةٌ A group, they just wish, they badly want, they desire this so much. What? That they want to misguide you. And who are these people? Ta'ifa min ahlil kitab. A group from the people of the book. Now who are the people of the book? The Jews and the Christians. The Yehud and the Nasara. So all people don't want bad for you. Just because someone is Jewish or Christian does not mean they're inherently evil. No. A group of them. Some of them. They want that you should go astray. And who is this group? Which ta'ifa is this? Now in Medina... At the time when this verse was revealed, who used to live in Medina from the Ahlul Kitab? The Yahud. So it refers to them in particular. That this is what they want. لَوْ يُضِلُّونَكُمْ They just want to lead you astray. They want to drive you away from guidance into misguidance. They want that you should leave the truth and accept falsehood. And the word يُضِلُّونَ is from ضَلَال. What does ضَلَال mean? Misguidance. And it means misguidance, but it also has another meaning, which is destruction. When something gets lost, meaning it's destroyed, it's finished. For example, in the Quran, Allah says about the people who disbelieve in the hereafter, that they say, أَإِذَا ضَلَلْنَا فِي الْأَرْضِ When we have gotten lost in the earth, meaning when we have been completely destroyed, when our bones have disintegrated, when our bodies have completely decomposed, our remains don't even remain. ضَلَلْنَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Meaning we have completely been destroyed. So, لَوْ يُضِلُّونَكُمْ What's the second meaning? That they want to destroy you. One is that they want to mislead you. And the second is that they want to destroy you. They want to harm you. They want that you should suffer. In Surah Al-Baqarah also we have learned earlier, وَدَّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَوْ يُرُدُّونَكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِكُمْ كُفَّارًا That some of them they wish that if you could leave Islam, you could leave Iman and become kuffar. Why? Hasadam min indi anfusihim. Out of jealousy. Min bardi ma tabayyana lahum al-haq. After the truth has become clear to them. So what should you do in response? Fa'fu wasfahu. Forgive, overlook, ignore them. Hatta ya'ti Allahu bi amrih. Until Allah brings about His command, His decision. So this has been mentioned earlier as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this again. That some of them want to mislead you. They are not sincere to you. They don't want guidance for you. They don't want you to be Muslim. They don't like your Islam. Have you ever experienced this? That somebody likes everything about you minus your Islam? Have you ever come across? And I'm not saying it has to be a non-Muslim. It could be someone who claims to be a Muslim as well. Right? They like the fact that you speak the way you speak, you dress the way you dress, but they just don't like your hijab. Or they're very happy about your studies, but they don't like the fact that you also pray salah. Or that you're also studying the Qur'an. They're very happy that you are going to school, you're going to university, but they don't like that on the weekends you study the Qur'an. They say you're wasting your time. So it happens in life that we come across people who don't like 
our religion, who don't like our faith, who don't like the fact that we practice our faith, who don't like just the deen, just the iman. And they want, لَوْ يُضِلُّونَكُمْ They just want that if only you could leave your iman, you could leave your Islam, you could leave your Qur'an, you could leave your hijab, you could leave your salah, and then they would accept you. Then they would be very happy with you. So what should you do? Make them happy? Huh? No, you cannot make them happy. Why? Because if you make them happy, what will happen? يُضِلُّونَكُمْ You will actually go astray. you will actually suffer. Because if we please people at the cost of making Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upset, at the cost of earning the wrath of Allah, the anger of Allah, the disapproval of Allah, then who can save us? Who can protect us? No one can. We just had this discussion about the snow. That how we become helpless just in front of snow. You cannot go about your day as you had planned. You cannot go places where you could go very easily. A 10 minute ride turns into an hour and a half struggle. So we are helpless before Allah. In this dunya, one day we become so helpless. Then what about the rest of our lives? And what about the hereafter? So a person, what's the lesson we learned here? A person should never ever compromise on his faith just to make other people happy. And if our goal in life becomes the pleasure of people, the happiness of people, will we ever be successful? No. Why? Because one day people will be happy with you, the other day they'll find some other problem. Isn't it so? And especially people who don't accept you the way you are, then you know what? They will never be happy with you, no matter what you do. Even if you make a fool of yourself, they'll never approve of you. Right? You know, there's a story about this father and son, who were once traveling on a donkey. And the father was old, so he was riding the donkey, and the son was, you know, he had the bridle and he was guiding the donkey. So they passed by some people, and those people said, oh, look at this cruel father. He's riding the donkey, and he's making his son walk. So the father said, okay, son, you ride, I'll walk. So then they swapped places. But then what happened? People said, look at this son. How disrespectful he is to his father. He's riding the donkey, and he's making his... father right so then they said okay neither of us will walk so the both of them were walking so the people said how foolish they are they have a donkey they could sit on it and then they said you know what let's carry the donkey <laughs> and again people didn't leave them so this is a fact if your aim in life becomes approval the happiness of people they will never be happy i'm not saying be indifferent to people don't care about their feelings ignore them completely no be sensitive towards them but don't get depressed if somebody does not become happy because of what you're doing get over it and move on this is a simple lesson that we learn and this is a very very critical thing that we have to learn in life You know, this is something that will help us at work. This is something that will help us in our married lives. This is something that will help us in every aspect of our lives. So these people, they want to mislead you. So you have to be very careful. Now what's the reason? Why is it that the Ahlul Kitab want to lead the Muslims astray? What's the reason behind that? At that time in particular, it was hasad. It was jealousy. That these people have the Qur'an. Okay. Or that the final messenger has come from among them. Muhammad wasallam has come from among them. He should have been from us. So it was mainly jealousy. You know, just like children. One child, if he's the only child, he's very attached to the mother. What happens when the next child comes? 
what happens? He becomes jealous. And typically, little children, I've seen one-year-old kids even, one-and-a-half-year-old kid, what will they do? Push the kid. Right? Push him and hit him and pinch him and poke his eye and whatnot. This is what children do. But when adults become jealous, do they just push and poke the eye of the other person? No, they do things that are much worse. Much worse. So, they want to mislead you. In the Qur'an, Allah says in Surah An-Nisa, Ayah 89, وَدُّوا لَوْ تَكْفُرُونَ كَمَا كَفَرُوا فَتَكُونُونَ سَوَاءَ They want that you should disbelieve just as they have disbelieved so that all of you should be equal. All of you should be equal in their misguidance. So, they don't want you to be guided. They don't like the fact that the final messenger is from you, that you have the Qur'an that Allah has promised to preserve. That you have the Qur'an that is unchanged in its original state. You have the messenger who was successful, who is a final messenger. They just don't like this. They're envious, they're jealous. And why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us this? To warn us. That it's because of this jealousy that they behave you know, in a way that you don't like. So for example, what would they do out of this jealousy, out of this hatzat? Sometimes they would come and mock at the Muslims, at the Qur'an. For example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses about who would give to Allah a beautiful loan, the Yahud, they said, Allah is faqir, Allah is poor. Now if you hear something like that, somebody is insulting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that manner, wouldn't you be hurt? Of course you'd be hurt. Likewise, we learned in Surah Al-Baqarah that they would say ra'ina to the Prophet wasallam. Why would they do that? To insult him, that our shepherd, or our foolish one, our stupid one, our donkey. They would mispronounce the word to give an incorrect meaning, and in their hearts they would laugh. Likewise, they would come to the Prophet ﷺ, instead of saying, As-salamu alaykum, what would they say? As-salamu alaykum, may death be upon you. So when you hear such things, you get hurt. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is comforting us that don't worry, these people just don't like the fact that you're guided. They like everything about you. They may love your food. They may love your dress. They may love your language. They may love your country. But they just don't like your religion. And this is the reason why they mock at your religion. This is the reason why they make fun of your messenger wasallam. This is the reason why they do what they do. Allah comforts us saying, وَمَا يُضِلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ Are they able to misguide you? They want that you should be misguided, but are they successful in that desire? No. Because by trying to misguide you, who are they actually misguiding? Themselves. They're only misleading themselves. How are they misguiding themselves? If you take the meaning of idlal to be misguidance, the first meaning, then they're only misleading themselves. How? That when a person is busy trying to misguide another person, okay, trying to hurt another person, then will he be concerned about his well-being? Will he be concerned about his guidance? No. In the effort to mislead you, they are forgetting themselves. And they're misleading themselves. You know, this is just like if a person wants that another individual, his image should be destroyed. Okay? That people like him and he doesn't want that people should like him. What does he do? He goes and says something wrong about him. He goes and says, you know, a false statement about him, accuses him falsely of something. So, okay, he's trying to damage his reputation, but when people find out about the truth, then who is actually insulted? Who? The liar, right? The one who is accusing the other. 
Correct? So this is a reality that when a person is busy trying to harm another, then who does he harm? First, himself. When a person is trying to mislead another, then who does he mislead first? Himself. You know, this is like a person is supposed to take another to a particular destination. He says, come along with me. And he's taking him. And deliberately, he misleads him. Then who will get to the destination? Neither of them. Right? Neither of them. Who will be further in misguidance? The one who is leading him astray because he is ahead. So, وَمَا يُضِلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ They are not misleading except themselves. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ And they don't even realize. They think they are doing something right. Because they are so happy with the fact that they are hurting you. But they don't get it that they are suffering first. That they are missing out on the good first. That they are losing out first. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ They don't even get it. Therefore, there's no regret, there's no reproach, there's no self-reproach, there's no reform, nothing. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ They're forgetting themselves in this process. And if you take the second meaning of idlal, which is destruction, then وَمَا يُضِلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ Meaning they are not destroying except themselves. How? That by wishing ill for another, by hurting him, by saying false things, by mocking at the deen, what are they earning? Reward or sin? Sin. So they will have kathratul iqab. They will have more punishment as a result of their trying to harm you. So وَمَا يُضِلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ What do we learn in this ayah? There are many lessons. First of all, we learn that we have to be careful. We have to know who is our friend and who is our foe. Don't be misled by people. So be careful. Be alert. You know, just because somebody is praising us, just because somebody is listening to us, just because somebody is agreeing with us on their face, doesn't mean that they are sincere to us. Sincerity, how is it shown? By your actions, not by your words. By your treatment of other people. So if somebody says good things to you, but they treat you in a bad manner, they mock at you, they make fun of you, they don't support you in your religion, then are they sincere? They're not sincere. So be careful. Be careful. Secondly, we also learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about our hearts, about our wishes, that if we want good for someone, Allah is aware of that. If we want bad for someone, Allah is also aware of that. So be conscious. Be very careful about not just your actions, but also the desires and the wishes that you have. You know, when we want bad for someone, then is this a sign of iman? No. The sign of iman is what? Wanting for the other what you like for yourself. So be careful about that. Ya Ahlal Kitab. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the people of the book. That, O oh people of the book, لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ Why is it that you deny the signs of Allah? وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ While you are a witness. All of this, you know, trying to mislead Muslims, this resulted from what? Their disbelief. Their rejection of the truth. If they had accepted the truth, then no problem. But they were not accepting the truth. That was the root cause. That was the main issue. This is just like a child does not want to accept that somebody is going to share my mother with me. 
Somebody is not willing to accept that someone's going to share my room with me. Somebody is going to share my house with me, share my space with me. When they're not willing to accept it, then that's where the problem lies. And that's where many problems will result from. So what was the root problem? Kufr. Disbelief. Rejection. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala questions them, then lima, why, for what reason do you disbelieve in the ayat of Allah? وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ While you are a witness. Which ayat are these? Ayat is a plural of ayah. An ayah is a sign, an evidence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And every ayah points to an attribute from the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether it is shari or kawni. What is shari ayah? What Allah has revealed. So for example, the ayat that we are studying right now. Likewise the verses of the Torah, the verses of the Injil. Any scripture that Allah has revealed, its statements, what are they? Shari ayat. Right? Likewise, miracles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to His prophets. What are they? Ayat. Okay? Ayat shadri. So over here, ayat shadri. Not ayat kawni, but ayat shadri. So why do you reject the ayat of Allah? Now which ayat did the Ahlul Kitab disbelieve in? Did they not believe in the Torah? Yes. Did they not believe in the Injil? Yes. So which ayat were they rejecting? The Qur'an. And in fact, they were also rejecting the ayat of Torah and Injil. How so? About the messenger. Because in their books was mentioned who? The coming of the final messenger. In their books, they were given many instructions, but were they observing them? No. Were they following them? No. And was it only with regards to the Prophet ﷺ? No, there were many other things also which they were supposed to observe that were revealed in their scriptures but they were not observing. An example is what we learned in Surah Al-Baqarah that they made a mithaq, a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were commanded, in other words, very firmly that they would not kill each other, they would not expel each other. Remember? But what did they do? They fought one another, they exiled one another and then they would go and pay ransom and free their captives. Right? So this was also kufr of the ayat of Allah. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that أَفَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِبَعْضِ الْكِتَابِ وَتَكْفُرُونَ بِبَعْضِ You reject some. So, لِمَا تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ But in the context over here, which ayat are these? Ayat concerning the signs concerning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Verses concerning the final messenger that were mentioned in their book. So Allah says, why do you reject them? وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ You're not blind to their truthfulness. You are a witness to their truthfulness, to their reality. You have seen them yourself. Notice, it hasn't been said, وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ But rather it has been said, وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ What's the difference between ilm and shahada? What's the difference? Ilm is just to? No, but shahada is that you have seen, you have witnessed. Ilm, you can acquire by somebody else telling you. But shahada is when you have seen with your own eyes, when you testify. So, وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ Meaning you have seen the messenger, you have seen the clear signs in him. You know that he is a prophet. And evidence of that is Salman al-Farisi. 
the companion, Salman al-Farisi, Salman the Persian, who was originally from Persia, a fire worshipper. He saw Christianity, he accepted Christianity, he left his home, he lived with bishops and you know Christian priests in order to learn from them, in order to serve them, in order to practice the faith. And then eventually, by one of the bishops or the priests, what was he instructed? That go to such and such land, the final prophet is going to come there. So Salman al-Farisi, what did he do? He traveled over there. But in that journey, he got sold as a slave. Right? And he ended up in Medina. He wanted to go to Medina, but he came to Medina as a slave. Because the group that he was traveling with, they sold him as a slave. And then when he was in Medina, and the Prophet ﷺ came, what happened? He went and he tested him. Right? He went and checked. Where did he get that knowledge from that the final messenger will have this, this, this characteristic? From the book, from the scripture. Right? This was the knowledge that the people of the book possessed. Because Isa alayhi salam, he came and he gave clear signs, clear knowledge about the final messenger. So this is why Allah says, وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ You see the messenger, you know he is not a liar. You can see the signs in him, yet you don't accept you don't believe. Why? Why don't you believe? You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ They recognize the Prophet ﷺ as the last messenger as well as they recognize their own sons. You know, when you see your son, you know he's your son. You don't get confused. Likewise, when they saw the Prophet ﷺ, they knew he was a prophet. They were not confused. They were a hundred percent sure. Yet, they did not accept. Why? It was that jealousy, it was that pride, it was that ego that will become someone less, that we will lose our sovereignty if we accept that the final messenger is from the unlettered people. It was that ego that prevented them. So, لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ Even today, I remember reading a book, author's name, Montgomery Watt. It's a book by him on Islam. So it's a brief summary. And I had to study that for a course that I took at school. And in that book, he has mentioned about the revelation, about the wahi. And there are other books as well. I believe there's a book by Karen Armstrong as well on a similar subject. I don't remember the exact words, but the revelation that came to the Prophet ﷺ, that is described. Because they have also mentioned a little bit of seerah about the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So about revelation, about the wahi that came to him. And it said, inshallah if I get a chance, I'll bring the book and I'll share that passage with you, that it said that it had to be divine. It was not, na'udhu billah, fit or something like that that he had. No, it had to be divine. Somehow it had to be from God. But then why don't you accept it? You acknowledge that a human being cannot produce something like this. So there have been many instances among the mushrikeen, and as well as the Ahlul Kitab, where they saw the Prophet ﷺ, they heard the Qur'an, and they knew that this was not falsehood. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ You see it, you witness it, you testify to it, yet why don't you accept? يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ O people of the book, لِمَ تَلْبِسُونَ الْحَقَّ بِالْبَاطِلِ Why is it that you confuse the truth with the falsehood? لِمَ لَامْ مِيم this word came earlier as well, and it's coming again. Lima is a combination of li and ma. Li meaning for, and ma meaning what. So for what? Meaning for what reason? 
And the ma, the alif is removed to abbreviate the word. So lima. Why? For what reason? Why is it that talbisun al-haq? You mix up the truth, you confuse the truth, bil batil with the falsehood. Talbisuna is from lam basin. We have done this word earlier too. Talbis is to mix up two things together so that you get confused. You cannot tell one from the other. You cannot tell the two apart. From the same root, libas means to clothe, right? To cover. When something is covered, you're confused as to what is behind it. But over here, talbisuna does not mean you cover, but rather it means you mix. So why do you mix the truth with the falsehood? Why do you create such a confusion so that the difference between truth and falsehood is not known? So that people cannot understand what is right and what is wrong. They cannot recognize what is true and what is false. They are confused, they are left in confusion. And this is done how? By deception. That you present falsehood as truth, you present truth as falsehood. Everything is right, everything is wrong. At the end people are in confusion, they don't know what is right, what is wrong. And this is done by unclear, ambiguous statements. This is done by presenting right as wrong and wrong as right, so that people are left in confusion. So, لِمَ تَلْبِسُونَ الْحَقَّ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتَكْتُمُونَ الْحَقِّ And moreover, the truth that is left clear, what do you do? You conceal it, you hide it, you don't even tell people about it. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ While you know, meaning you are knowingly, willfully doing this. Why are you committing these crimes? So this was another scheme you can say that the people of the book adopted in order to mislead the Muslims. And what was that? That they would mix up the truth and falsehood together so that people would be in utter confusion. For example, the people of the book, they would be asked, so what do you say about Muhammad ﷺ? He had migrated from Mecca to Medina. Some people of Medina had accepted Islam, other people had not. They were still mushrikeen. And then the third group of people was who? Of the Yahud who lived in Medina. So those who had believed in Muhammad ﷺ and those who hadn't, or the common people from among the Jews, they would ask their scholars, the Jewish scholars, that what do you say about this man, Muhammad ﷺ? So they would give very unclear answers. They would give ambiguous answers. So that the people would think, okay, so we don't have to follow him. Like for example, if somebody were to say, yes, Muhammad ﷺ was a messenger, however, he was a messenger sent only to the Arabs. He was a messenger only for the people of that time. Then what would you say? Okay, he was a messenger, but I don't have to follow him. Is that what you would think? Yeah, if somebody was to tell you, you didn't know about Islam, if somebody was to tell you, yes, he was a messenger, but only for the people of that time, or only for the Arabs. Then if you did not know about Islam, what would you think? I don't need to follow Right? You would say, I'm not an Arab, so I don't need to be Muslim. I don't need to study further about who Muhammad ﷺ was and what message he brought. You would be left in confusion. Right? So this is done by mixing the truth with falsehood, giving ambiguous statements, so that people are left in confusion. How is this done today? How is this done today? The truth is mixed up with falsehood and people are like, okay, so are we supposed to do it or not? So for example, if somebody asks, am I supposed to wear hijab? And they're told... Uh, yeah, but um, you know, there are people who say that you don't have to. Uh, so you're like, okay, but am I supposed to do it or not? Like, yeah, but you know, there's a difference of opinion and there's this side of the story and there's that side of the story. And you're like, okay, but am I supposed to do it or not? Confusion, right? So 
creating confusion, mixing everything together, jumbling the truth with the falsehood. This was something that the Bani Israel also did. The Ahlul Kitab also did. Now why would a person do that? Why? Because he doesn't want to sound rude or he doesn't want to sound harsh. Rather, he doesn't want to be rejected. He doesn't want that the other should contradict him. He doesn't want to say anything that the other will not accept. Or he doesn't want to contradict someone else. Recently, I read a very interesting discussion on cat hair. Okay, That is it clean or not? Is it tahir or not? Okay, There are many ahadiths which tell us about how cats would come and drink from a bowl and from the same bowl, you know, somebody did wudu. The Prophet ﷺ, the companions, and the Prophet ﷺ said that there's nothing wrong with the cat because it just comes and goes. It's a clean animal. Alright? However, there are some Muslims later on who said that the cat is unclean. Why? Because it's an animal which we don't eat. Okay? And if you slaughter it, blood would come out. Okay? It's not like a roach or a bug or a fly. No, when you cut it, blood will come out. So because of these two reasons, the cat is unclean. This is what some people said. Now this clearly contradicts the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And if you were to believe that cats are unclean, that means you cannot have a cat in your house. Because if you were to have a cat in your house, then what will happen? You'll be covered in cat hair. The place where you pray at, that will be covered in cat hair. And you can't pick each and every hair out, can you? And as you're praying, your cat might come and sit next to you or brush against your feet. Then you cannot pray. Do you see what I mean? And in this discussion, you know, one person was saying that, look, the hadith show that the cat is clean. And the other said that, no, but our scholars know better how to understand those ahadith. And at the end, you're like, okay, is the cat clean or not? Please tell me. Somebody had posted a simple question. Can I have a cat in the house or not? Simple question. Such a confusion. Because the haq was clear. But what do people do? They conceal the haq. They don't even mention those ahadith. And they say, oh, so-and-so scholar said such and such. And because of that reason, cat is not clean, so... Kick it out of your house. Give it to a shelter. But is that fair? No. This is zulm on people. I mean, if somebody loves their cat, right? This is not fair. And this is zulm on the cat. She has a home. And you're kicking it out through unjust means. You're using the sharia against the poor cat. Right? So this is not fair. So the Bani Israel, the Ahlul Kitab, they were doing something very similar. Mixing up the truth with the falsehood, concealing the truth, knowingly, deliberately. Why? Because they didn't want to contradict their actions. They didn't want to contradict their scholars. So even if something was evident, even if something was crystal clear, yet they would say, no, but there's a different explanation. But such and such. But such and such. So then people will be left in confusion. And as a result, they would be averted from Islam. Allah says, وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Knowingly, deliberately doing this is worse. You know, if somebody does this out of ignorance, that is a different thing. But deliberately, consciously doing this, it's a crime. 